Uh, good morning. My name is Steve Fonda. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Aaron asked me to say a few words to you this morning uh, of encouragement to sign up for Letters to the Church. This uh, book and study guide that's been making made available to us. The reason Aaron asked me to do this is because I'm a member of the Meyer Group, and the Meyer Group has been going through this study since November. Uh, the reason that happened is because I, being an elder, gave them an early heads up that this was going to come about, and Peggy Meyer just went out and bought the book and the video and everything and got us started going through that. So I can tell you, as one who has gotten into it, that it's uh, a very, very deep program. If you, if you think about it, are God's commands optional? The answer is obviously no. We just need to get deep into what God wants us to do. We need to get away from the want to be, want to be, want to do, want to do, and actually do it. So out in the lobby, there are books for sale. You can buy them. The church has provided uh, many programs for you to study this in groups. If you're not a member of a group, you can uh, uh, go to one that is being um, set up between services and in people's homes. It's all on this sheet of paper here. I can't urge you enough to uh, sign up for this wonderful program. Thank you. Good morning. Not yet. Second service. You get the you get the memorized version. Uh, well, Steve just talked about letters to the church. We are, I'm excited for this week because of a lot of things. One is we are starting off this morning, as uh, Matt said at the very beginning, we're starting our first community group downstairs at this hour. Maybe some of you that it'll be also going the second hour. Um, if you're not in a group during the week, I know there's one this afternoon too, but there's all kinds of different groups. We just want you to be a part, to be... Um, to get connected for these next nine weeks. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, we encourage you. And as Steve said, there's, there's information as you leave today that you can grab that. The other thing is uh, we're starting today in the book of Genesis. And so it's going to kind of do an introduction today. But one of the th if you're reading through the life journals, and if you read already today, you'll realize today was the last day of Genesis, and chapter 50 today, which we didn't really plan it that way, but it just happened that way. So you're, you're kind of prepared. If you've been reading the life journals, you already know what Genesis says, so you can correct us as we go, as we preach um, through the sermon. But it's, it's, been, an, it's been kind of uh, just fun reading together, too, just listening uh, just different people talking about the scriptures that they're reading and listening to Matt this morning he said to this week, this morning actually in, in um, Psalms 8, this is what it said, which is kind of relates a lot to what we're talking about today. But it's just neat to be into, in the Bible together, encouraging each other. I'm encouraged by you and hopefully we're encouraged by each other as we, as we read through it together. We are, um, in, like I said a little bit ago, we're going to be in Genesis for a little while. We're... Um, 
And so we're calling the, this kind of first portion of the series, The Gospel According to Genesis. And, and so as we look through Genesis, you're going to get, we're going to talk about God today, about God being, God is gospel. But as we look through the coming weeks, you got creation, you got where God created, then he rested. And after he rested, he also went back to creating man and he created woman. And then you see the fall, that the man had issues and he fell. And then you see God's promise to man. And as you keep going through it, you see Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were the sons of Noah. You see what goes on with them. And then Noah comes along and we've heard all kinds of things about Noah and his ark. And then you got the Tower of Babel. And, and so that kind of starts off the, the first 11 chapters. And then the next tons of chapters deal with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And it kind of concludes, I mean, those, all those books are dealing with those guys' life. And I don't know about you, if you've been reading through the Bible, um, you just kind of reminded as you go through Genesis that it's, uh, people are messy. I mean, it's, it's like, I can't, some days I heard some of you tell me you had to wash your eyes or like, after you read what you read in the Bible, but it's, it's, but it's real, it's, it's real stuff. And so, you know, to get a good perspective of Genesis, it's just to kind of step back. I, the best thing I've seen, I wanted to show you this, it's going to be a few minutes, but the Bible Project does this thing with, with Genesis, and I thought, you know what, they're going to do a much better job than I could do, and they'll do it faster, so it's about six minutes, so... Why don't you watch this? The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible. And God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential to care for it and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden, it's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death, because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. 
The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves and in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are. Now, they can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God. And then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now right here the story stops, and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head. Which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost, because the snake, too, will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled, and what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the human's decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. 
It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1-11 through 11 is all about. Nice and clear, right? <laughs> You know, Genesis, today we're looking at, going to look at just the first couple of verses of Genesis. And just the, today it's called, titled, That God is Gospel. And at the very end there he talked about, you know, he's going to send somebody. But from the very beginning of time, um, he th he's been good. Uh, and so you start thinking about God and you think about gospel and you think about Genesis and what do these things all have to do with each other? Are they related? How do they relate? Um, what do they mean? How, um, what's the good news in Genesis? And so as we, as we look at Genesis, one of the things that we want to make sure that we look at um, is that the point of the Bible, the point of the Bible isn't for you. <laughs> the point of the Bible is for us to see who God is and so, so that we can fix our life to who He is. And so Genesis 1, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 3, I'm going to read that. says this. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, there is so much stuff going on in Genesis and so many different things, and those are probably the most popular verse in the whole Bible is in the beginning, this idea that God... And so the first thing I kind of, there's about three different things I want to make sure that we pay attention because before creation ever happened, there's three things that the scripture says is going on. It says one, the first one is this, is before creation, there was a God. Before creation, there was a God. It says in the beginning, God. And so we all know that possibly, you know that, but in the beginning, it says that God, he was, he was there, he was present. He was outside of, outside of creation. Before anything created, he was there. Isaiah 44, 24 said he stretched out of the heavens all by himself. And that's, it was, that was him. And he took counsel with nobody. It all comes from him. It all exists in him. And, and when something, he goes on in verse, I'm going to kind of skip down a little bit to verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. And so here's, 
You what that means is if all things come from God and He made us, there's a couple things that, that we need to focus on and things that are pretty important. The first one is that, the first thing is that He's the measure of life. And so he, everything is measured by, by God. And so we might struggle with that. You can go, yeah, no dumb, like everything is measured by, by God. But at the same time, we don't allow that to happen all the time. You think about, because when we go through Genesis, you're going to find a bunch of different things that it's saying about God. The first thing it's trying to communicate to us is God is sovereign, that he's in control, that he was before all things. But it, you know, if you think about what in life, we have atheism. And atheism says, no, that's not true. Man is sovereign. God, the Bible's also going to say that God is holy. It's going to say that you try to help us understand that. But if you look at life and you look at religions in life, pantheism says all is God and God is all. And so God is holy, meaning that he set apart. The world tries to tell us that that's not true, uh, that it's different than that. Also, you know, the Bible, Genesis, we're going to find out that there's only one true God. In polytheism, we'll say, no, that's not true. There's, there's multiple. And so as we look at this, it also, it's, we just read that, he's, that, that in the beginning was God, and he, what did he say next? That he, he created, and he, he is a creator of the universe. But secularism says, no, everything happens by time and chance, and it just, that's how it is. We're also going to discover in, in Genesis, is not only this, that we discover that God made a covenant. He made a covenant with his people, and he upholds his covenant, and we're going to, in future weeks, we're going to see that. But deism, what does deism say? Deism says that there, there's a God, but he's separate. He doesn't, he's not in relationship with, with you. He's completely not involved with humans. And so God made human beings, and it's, we just read a minute ago that we're created in his image, and on, we're created in his image, but on, on his behalf. But hedonism will tell you what? That it's all for you. Do whatever you can do. Accumulate whatever you can get. Uh, get all you can get, because that's all there is. You know, we learn that the source of evil and brokenness in this world, in human, uh, you know, there's, that it happens and that, that God's part of that. But at the same time, God created everything. And we find that also in the scripture that, that there's hope, um, the promise of his seed that would come. And we're going to find out about that later. But in the beginning, God, the word God there is Elohim, which is it's plural in the sense that there's, there's, there's multiple things going on here. Before God, there was, it was just Him. And as we look at this, um, He is the subject. Psalms 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, it says you are God. And if you, like another chapter in the Bible, Isaiah 46 says this. It says, verse 8, it says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and what does it say there? Those are no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient of times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Now before the beginning, there was God, and God set up a plan. But some reason we continue to, to, to move away from that, because the danger is here for us is, you know, most of the time we're seeking God for ourselves, that it's about me and it's, it's, it's for me. And at the end of the day, we're sometimes I think what, what happens is we begin to look at, through the wrong glasses and we don't allow God to be who God is. 
because we lower them into our level, into kind of mankind, and, and we don't keep them in his proper place, that he's God, that he is the creator. And so, because we come from God, he provides, provides the measure. We don't. He does. And he tells us who he is, and that's where we sometimes a little bit get skipped up a little bit, because he is the measure. The second thing that he does, he provides the meaning. Our meaning comes from him. You know, the human heart is designed. It only works when God is at the center of it. And God, when we have him in his proper place, then it's functioning well. If God's not the center, uh, it's God's, it's, well, I'm trying to say, it's, it's God-centered, it's not man-centered. You know, he uh, is not the universe verse. He created the universe. He is not the grass. He created the grass. He is not the tree. He created the tree. And if you grasp this, he is God. We are, we are not God. He created us. And sometimes I feel like we have, I know for myself, sometimes I have a trouble wrapping my head around that because I get in arguments with God as if I know better than him. You know, C.S. Lewis says this is one of the most powerful arguments for the existence of God. It says, a baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim well. There is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desires. Well, there's such a thing as sex. But if I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it. Well, earthly pleasures will never, were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Because you were made in the image of God, you'll never find your place until you found yourself in God. You know, everything is, is from Him. It finds its measure and meaning in Him. And everything is for him, and it exists for his glory. And it's hard, but it's, we, you exist for his glory. And you'll be fulfilled to the extent that you embrace that. And so the more we get that, the more we understand it, the more you'll be fulfilled. The second thing that we see here in this is that before creation, before creation, there was love. You know, in verse 26, I read it a little bit ago, but God said, let us make man in whose image? Our image. Now, who is us? <laughs> He's, I thought there was just one God. So this is where it gets really confusing and it kind of blows your mind a little bit. But if you look closely, you'll begin to find the three persons of the Trinity. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on and it says, and what? The spirit of... God was hovering over the face of the waters. And this next thing, and then it says, and God, what does it say? And God said. Now, as we move on through the scriptures, you're going to find out that God's word, when he spoke, things happened. And then you're going to get into the New Testament and everything created through a word. And in Genesis, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was the Word was with God, and God, and the Word was God, and He was in, 
uh, in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now that's, this stuff, this is, gets into the God stuff that it just kind of blows your mind. It's like, I don't, I, it's hard to comprehend. Your, kind, your head kind of wants to explode a little bit. Um, but this very first chapter, you see evidence of the Trinity. And then, you know, Moses, and I didn't get into this a lot, but Moses, they, a lot of people believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, also called the Pentateuch, but they believe, but I mean, a man wrote the book and not exactly, you know, you start to begin to you see some of the traces of the Trinity happening in Genesis. And it's really, and it's really hard to understand, but here's what it means in the very essence of it. From the very beginning, God existed in relationship. From the very beginning, he was in relationship. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us out of an overflow of his love for us. And so the you know, Apostle Paul has probably the best analogy of this for the Trinity is, is in marriage, where the two become one essence. And then out of that essence, you know, you have possibly a child. Some people do. You know, in a good marriage, you don't have kids because you're lonely. You have kids just because you out of love. And so, and that's what we see in Genesis. God love spills out into the kind of into the canvas of the universe and invites us into a love relationship with him. You know, one of the phrases that you see repeated through Genesis 1, you see the phrase, and God saw. He keeps saying it over, and God saw. God, and then it says that like a good, you know, basically over and over again, he was over it. He was paying attention to what was going on. He knew what was happening. He was there when it was happening. And he says that he saw that it was good. You know, the thing of, I think sometimes we wonder, I don't know if you wonder, I sometimes wonder, is God there? <laughs> does, he, does he see? Is he paying attention? Is he present? But we see from Scripture very much, though, that he cares and that he deeply cares. No matter what you're going through, if you've been betrayed, maybe you're going through financial difficulty, whatever's going on in life, he definitely cares. And because we were created in the image of God, a God who exists in love, our lives will never be complete until we're also in relationship and in community. He created us that way. He made us that way. That's the way he intended it to be. And so if you ever wonder why you struggle a little bit, maybe if you're not in relationship, that's the way he wants you. You weren't, you weren't put on earth to be in isolation. Proverbs 18.24 says, An isolated man seeks his own desire. An isolated man seeks his own desire. David Bolson said that things grow in secret gardens, always grow mutant. And God created our hearts and our lives to work only when they're in deep community with others. And if you think about this for a second, about yourself, when you're in isolation, when you're by yourself, where does your mind go? What happens? I have three boys, and I, when we moved here, I thought I needed a bedroom from each one of them. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm good with them having one bedroom. And if you're a parent, you understand this, because isolation creates all kinds of different things. Um, and it's, I, I, I like it better. <laughs> and so... I'm going to go to one, one bedroom. I think we should have one bedroom on all of us living in it, so we'll be in complete community. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you think about isolation. You think about that for a second and think about yourself and think about the way life is for yourself. When you remain in isolation, what goes on there? I could tell you right now one of the things I love that's happening, I said at the very beginning, is we're all reading through the Bible together. And I get encouragement from you. 
I read something and you come along and you say something and it inspires me. But in isolation, we do all kinds of different things. Isolation, you sit there alone on Facebook or you sit there alone on Snapchat or whatever we, you know, this generation might not so much. But then all of a sudden your mind starts going places. Oh man, they're on vacation. That sucks. How, how come I'm not on vacation? That, they look like they're having a good time. And we, and we create all kinds of stuff. And so he created us to be in community. And I think we understand that. But a lot of times they can be messy. The community is messy, but he made us to be in relationship with each other. The, th- the third thing is before creation, there was darkness. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And you see, God said, like almost there, let there be. You know, and what's kind of odd about that, the word, you know, the word goes to work here. And so there's kind of significant, there's two things being shown. The word brings order out of chaos. The word brings order out of chaos. And through the word, God's word brings order to chaos. So why did God do it this way? You know, the very beginning, we see that there is darkness. And then all of a sudden, he comes along and he kind of creates out of that. But you see what happened. You know, basically, when, we, when God departs and the word departs from our life, things happen. You look at Noah. What happened with Noah? When, why did God flood the earth? Because God departed from people. And all of a sudden, he became frustrated. You read through Genesis, you guys have read through Genesis, you see over and over again what happens when God departs. You see it in Cain. You see it over and over and over again. The same is true in our life. When, when, when sin comes, it unravels things. It unravels families. It puts darknesses in our life, and, and it gets tough. You have bondages, addictions, when, when, when we are separated the second thing, the author shows a word will one day redeem what sin has destroyed. I showed you a little bit ago, John 1, 1 through 4. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus you know, is the word. And so if you read the scripture, you're like, how do you get that? <laughs> because it says it. That's why. But he's going to re-enter dark, sin-filled, chaotic world, it says from John 1. And we see Jesus undoing the chaos. And he comes to earth and he begins to heal diseases. He begins to take care of. You see him walking on water. You see that the darkness kind of becomes void. And what happens through people's lives? You see, he forgives idolaters and thieves. He removes their shame. He transforms them. You see Zacchaeus, and going into Zacchaeus' house, who was basically, you know, you know the story of Zacchaeus. You see him talking to the impure woman, and you see him bringing light to chaos, and he raises the dead. And then your thing happens as he, he dies, and you see him going away. And you see the earth shook and darkness kind of came on earth when he died. But the thing that you see through Genesis is this, is that from the very beginning of time you see God was before all things. And you see that he was the father, you see the father and you see the son. And you see that he has a plan from the very beginning. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, why did all this bad stuff happen? Why didn't he just make it good from the very beginning? Why did he wait so long? Why is there a 400 year gap? I don't get all. But at the end of the time... In the beginning was who? God. 
And that's where it all starts. And when we line ourselves properly with that, you begin to say, he is God and I'm not. And we just sang that song. I was sitting there listening to it, do it again. And it talked, we kept singing the song about his faithfulness, that it never fails. But at the same time, we struggle <laughs> to, allow him to, be, to allow him to be God. God is good news. God is the gospel. And when we get that and we understand it, it changes everything. We just have to have perspective. When you get perspective, it changes. And so as we go through Genesis and we look through Genesis, the good news is there. It's just people <laughs> drifting away from God and moving away from him. The very beginning of service today, I want to read this to you one more time because it's such a beautiful reminder of who God is. In your plan today, hopefully you read it, but Psalms chapter 8, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You, yet you have made him a, lower, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for these few small verses, which is a reminder to us that, that you're God. That you are the created and we are the... You are the creator and we're the created. That you have made everything and we get to come along and we get to be in it. And you allow us to be a part of your kingdom. You allow us to be a part of who you are. And so, Father, today I ask that just as we begin to look at Genesis, that you would help us to, to get a grasp, that we would have proper perspective, that we would put the right glasses on as we live life. And that we would allow, remind ourselves that we exist for your glory. That you don't exist for our glory, but we exist for your glory. Father, may we remember that you are the good news. The fact that we get to be a part of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have uh, communion. It's going to be served here in a, in a minute. And the communion is just a reminder of of how much God loves us, that Jesus went to the cross and that he died for us. And so there's juice and there's bread, and the juice represents just a reminder of uh, our forgiveness that we have through his blood. And the bread represents his body, which is a reminder of his sacrifice, that he is sacrificed in the sense that he trusted his father, that he did what his father asked him to do. And so as you hold on to the juice and the bread today, just, just, just align yourself with him. Remind yourself of who you are, that, that he's God and you're not. And that just remind, that just as you hold on to it, be reminded that he loves you deeply. I'm going to pray one more time. Father, thank you so much for, for loving us deeply and caring for us. And, um, and just I thank you for Genesis that gives us a reminder that you are at the beginning of all things. And so as we 
take the bread and the juice. Uh, may we align ourselves properly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.